All right, everybody, don't drop that fast forward button. The sponsorship roll call is about to begin. Energy Consulting Limited provides complete project management and general contracting services to a variety of private sector clients on both commercial and residential construction projects. They act as the owner's representatives through the planning, design, budgeting, scheduling, construction, and occupancy processes. Clients appreciate their open, honest, and flexible approach to achieving their project goals. Although they are located in Surrey, BC, Energy works on projects all over the province, including the growing cities of the north and the beautiful coastal towns of Vancouver Island. They're always excited to explore new places and develop relationships with professionals wherever their clients' interests may be. Abacus North is a firm that specializes in mortgage banking solutions for complex projects. In addition to providing financing solutions in a traditional mortgage broker capacity, Abacus North provides direct loans that range from $2 million to $25 million. On a syndicated basis, they provide mortgage banking solutions up to $300 million. In most cases, their in-house capital solutions can bridge financing gaps that traditional lenders are unable to service. They specialize in providing land acquisition loans, construction financing for large-scale developments, income-producing properties, and single-purpose facilities. With a portfolio that includes high-rise, mid-rise, and low-rise condominiums, townhouse developments, shopping centers, agricultural properties, industrial developments, and medical marijuana facilities, Abacus North is at the forefront of creative mortgage banking solutions with a focus on fostering long-term relationships. They are a multifaceted organization that services domestic and international clients with their mortgage banking needs. Complex financing solutions require analytical thinking well beyond a typical mortgage broker relationship. As a result, they focus on providing engineered solutions for their client. Their key differentiation strategy is that they assist clients in actively managing the capital stack in order to minimize borrowing costs while maximizing flexibility. Abacus North focuses on national and global opportunities. Ascentia CPA has a team of new-gen chartered professional accountants that are dedicated to advancing companies using expertise combined with emerging technologies. The team at Ascentia will implement the latest accounting technologies, allowing you to not only run a business, but to run a smart business that will excel in your industry. Their focus is to provide growth-centric, value-added, and timely accounting services for businesses, as well as individuals across Canada. Unlike standard accounting firms, by embracing cloud-based software, the team at Ascentia will provide you with real-time accounting information on a secure platform that is accessible anywhere at any time, allowing you to make better informed decisions and gain more controlled overview of your financial data. The reliability and expertise you will experience with the professionals at Ascentia will assist you in the preparation of corporate and personal tax returns, financial statements, bookkeeping, government filings, tax and estate planning, as well as business advisory services. For more information on the advantages of online accounting and to book a complimentary meeting online, be sure to visit ascentiacpa.ca. We are I. All right, so we're a week behind on our regular scheduled meeting here, Bridget, but uh, for a very good reason, and uh, a reason that I've never come across 
with somebody before and I feel like that's just uh, something that we should chit chat a little about so you can tell me or tell us all what it's like to be able to read the audio version um, of your book is um, I guess I should start with asking is there an audio version of your first book because I only read the the paper copy I never looked to see if there was an audio version no, there's no audio version of the first book. So this is something new that they started doing. And um, I was lucky because I was able to be the person reading the book, mm -hmm. which a lot of times the publisher will hire, you know, out of house or whatever to do it. But I was able to do it. And a very good friend of ours who's sort of like in our bubble of people that we're interacting with during this whole uh, COVID time, is actually he owns a recording studio oh, and wow. so yeah so he hadn't been having a lot of pretty much he hadn't been having anybody in the studio so i was comfortable going in there with him and being able to do that so that was great and he did a really nice job and um the publisher's really happy with it and i'm really happy with it so so, so yeah so come, push like, back how come like why why this small son like why why not the first one? Why the second one? I know like audiobooks are trending that way. Like, I probably listen yeah. to 70% of the books that I quote unquote read. Um, now, like on audiobook, is that just because the publisher that you're publishing with, that's where they're starting to gear towards, you know, like all of their, um, all of their production now is kind of doing audiobook and paperback? Yes. As long as it's a book that translates well to being listened to. So for example, the first book of mine, although sections of it would translate well to being listened to, it's more of like a manual or a textbook or a resource type of book. It's, it's not completely a textbook, but it's also not, um, you know, something that's more entertaining, uh, unless you're super interested in the topic. Um, and it would be difficult as far as like the PDF um, supplemental materials at the end would be, there would be a lot to put in there, you know, with the first book. But with this one, there are just, there's just one chart really and uh, one graph that you need to see in order to really grasp what I'm saying. Um, and there's a guided meditation and that's it. That's really the, the, um, the other images that are in the book are not entirely necessary. So, you know, the, the PDF in the back isn't entirely necessary either um, because the things that are represented in it are, are things that you could do a search engine, you know, look up on. But um, it's more of, it's a shorter book. And it, although it is very informative, it's, it, it also has like a cadence and a flow to it and it's very interesting. So I think that they felt that, and I think that this one they feel is going to reach a wider market as well. So for things that are more niche, they may not want to invest in doing the audiobook because it costs money for them to do it and they want to make sure they're going to be able to recoup that. So, um, and there is such a wide audiobook market right now more and more people are listening to them, whether it's on their commute or whether they're walking now a lot and they're listening to books on tape as they do that books on tape. I'm like dating myself saying that. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so they, and, and I think that they feel that this book is going to sell pretty well. So they wanted to make sure they had that option for people. So it'll be, 
there'll be a, an audiobook format, there'll be an electronic format, and then there is also, of course, the soft cover. There won't be a hard cover of this one, it's just soft cover. Oh. So that brings the cost a lot on the print version too, which is nice. So what makes this specific book is, like, you know, being about the gut, the micro gut biome, like I would assume it, it almost kind of carries that same general tone of like, like a text or like a resource, you know, like a manual, but like what makes it a little bit more different that this one's more like interactive or like, you know, cause you, you kind of put either your two different books in different classifications, but this one to me carries kind of the same pace. It's just more honed in. Like it'd be talking about like the chakras, like different doshas, you know, the different methodologies, just a singular one instead of all of them. You know, is that the reason why? Just because it's not as much material or, you know, maybe just kind of fill, fill me in with that. Well, it's got a much different tone. It's like, it's very informative, but it's very fascinating information that you're learning about. And it's interwoven with how you feel when you live your life. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And the, in the scientific information and the information from Eastern medicine theory is very practical. So it's like, you know, you can relate to the information well while you're listening or to or reading it. And um, there's stuff in it that's really funny. There's an entire chapter on poop and yeah. stool analysis. Yeah. I mean, so it's like, there's, there's a couple of stories interwoven there. Um, it's just like a really, it's kind, it's kind of like trendy. It's on point timing wise with what's out there in the world right now pertaining to conditions, coding, there's like it's, it covers everything. It touches on everything. And it also touches on mental and emotional well-being, which is an overarching theme for everyone right now um, all over the world, you know, and how the gut microbiome is interfacing with and influencing how we feel and what we're thinking. Mm -hmm. so, um, so it's just like really fascinating stuff about you, about us. And, um, and yeah. so I think it, and it's, and there's a lot of, it's not overwhelming in, in the amount of information. There's a lot of information that I had to leave out of the book so that it wouldn't be overwhelming, but it flows well. And I think it reads pretty well. And I think people are going to find it interesting and they're going to get a laugh in here and there. Yeah. So, you know, there's like a, the cadence of it is like, you know, when I used to teach a lot of yoga classes, you take, there's this amount of intensity that happens and then you have to break it, right? You have to tell a joke or you like make fun of ourselves somehow along the way. And it does that. And the other thing that's um, great about this book is there's like a lot of controversial information in it too. So it's like, Ooh, what, you know, like, what what do, what do we think about probiotics and what do we think about different diets and and so it's very interesting i think it'll grab people's attention in many different ways and i'm sure i'll have a few folks that disagree with some of what i say but but um that's true of anything so um, yeah. it'll be it'll be interesting to see how well, how it's received was it was it hard to write a book that didn't have as much of the information that you wanted to have in it because I'm sure in your first book, you left out a lot too, but it, it covers a lot of things in yeah. so much more detail. 
was it hard, you know, with your type of personality to be able to leave a lot of that detail out to carry a lighter tone? Like, because I, I know the way that, well, I presume I know the way that you are based on all of the interactions that we've had now is that, you know, like once you start talking and then it snowballs and it snowballs and it snowballs yeah. and like, you know, like it starts off with like a singular topic and then all of a sudden, you know, like it's rolled out into like a quite significant amount of material, you know? So like, was it hard to tone that back and like, you know, like tame the beast inside you that just wants to data dump everything that you know or everything that you found out through all your research? Yeah, I mean, there were... So I have a background in, in journalism, this, like going back to high school, about, about taking the facts and being objective as, as much as possible. And so like with reporting or journalism, your job, and, and in some respects, this book is part journalistic. So in that, your job is to take the facts and not necessarily pump your emotional um, charge on it or put your emotional charge on it or put your opinions into it but instead to present them with clarity and present like both sides of the coin as much as possible so that people can make their own judgments based upon their own opinions and life experiences and beliefs right so so there's that piece of it so when you're going through and doing the research and deciding what to put in something like this for me, I was able to draw on the, the practice I already had of taking like, well, well, what's the most objective thing here that I can say like maybe about probiotics, for example, and then presenting sort of both sides of the, of the coin with it. And at the same time, making sure that I included things that caught my attention, things that hooked me, because if, if I think something's interesting, I'm going to be able to put it across to someone else and they're going to find it interesting too, or it's going to be something that they would just naturally find interesting. Right. So, so in that sense, like a journalist or someone who's even quote unquote trying is a screen for what does get through. And I tried to be a screen for the most, interesting and the most um, relevant things that would interest someone and also would be able to be put into practice somehow so that that person could use that information in their life. Hmm. So that's kind of I focused on what I was going to include. So I didn't get overly technical with different strains and um, I didn't get overly technical with the science behind how me for example or um, any other processes that happen in the body I got a little into the science just to give people kind of a feel for the fact that it is grounded in in some science but also I I just I made it as like easily accessible and as easy to understand as possible so it's not a science book per se it's a book on how you can change your lifestyle, knowing what you need to know as a layperson from the scientific end, so that you have a firm understanding of why you're doing it without having to know the different microbes that are that are that are making these reactions happen and all the 
and all the other processes in the body and the names of all the hormones or the enzymes or whatever. Like I didn't get into all that stuff. If anyone's interested in that, that is touched on because it's alluded to that, you know, that's all there, but it's, it's really, I don't want to say it's dumbed down because it's not, it's just very clear and in very simple terminology. So we can all just read it and enjoy it and not get stuck in not understanding what the heck it is I'm talking about or having to reread something 10 times. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So see, and you know, and, I, and that is valuable because there is a lot of, a lot of people nowadays that want to take a vested interest in their own personal health and like, you know, have like a self guided, you know, health and wellness strategy, but up until you know very recently there's never been a way to facilitate people understanding that information because it's like it's like reading law or you know like reading medical yeah. journals and like it just it's hard to digest and understand and wrap your mind around unless if you really like you know understand the terminology like you, you really kind of bleed and breathe you know like these different topics and stuff so like it's nice that these books are coming out and like this material is coming out so that everybody can understand it so it opens up the accessibility to everybody who wants to be able to claim an interest in their own personal health. Yes. Let me and ask that, you a question about probiotics. Is um, I had this discussion with somebody uh, the other day, just in passing, no detail, no depth. Um, but I have I've experimented with like a lot of different probiotics in the past, and I have quite a few friends um, and colleagues that obviously um, you know take probiotics and stuff. So I always kind of try, like you know, maybe like one of what they're taking, you know, just to kind of see like, you know, how it feels in the body. I always, no matter what it is, I get constipated taking probiotics, even just once, even like one serving. Have you ever heard of that before? Or do you have a, a reason why that, I know it's kind of throwing you under the bus and stuff, but it's just something I run into all the time. Do I got you? Well, it depends what the, okay. So some, if, if you're looking at constipation in terms of how I describe it in the book, which means if there is stool left on the toilet paper after you wipe a couple times or even once, if you feel like you have to go a couple times, like back to back, um, or if, like if you're having incomplete bowel movements or if you're not going every day, then those are all definitions of constipation. Some people think that they're constipated um, if they don't go to the bathroom two or three times a day, right? So right there, I just want to clarify that definition. And if what's the original description I just gave of constipation, then um, that's actually that's an interesting reaction because most people will go the other way with it. Most people will take a probiotic if they're going to have a reaction to it. They'll get gassy and bloated. It may screw up their regularity and in, in in the sense that they may not go at the same time they're used to going, and it may change the quality of their stools. But usually they'll lean more toward being on the loose side. So if your bowel movements, and this is, this is like perfectly described in the poop chapter in the book. So if your bowel movements are, if they're loose, if they're not formed, um, then, and they're become 
like like helping to change the the consistency of the stool, meaning that the right amount of water is getting ex extracted in the large intestine, but also that the transit time, um, as, as the stool moves through the system, the transit time is, is slowing down a little bit. So, I mean, without having this discussion with you already and, and getting into real particulars about your stool quality and exactly what you mean by constipation, it's hard for me to answer the question very specifically, but, Certainly, my encouragement in the book and in my practice is that people are intuitive about what they're ingesting and how they're responding to it. So whether, regardless of what it is, even if it's supposed to be healthy, um, if you notice that you're having what you feel is an adverse reaction to something, then you should listen to that. So you may not need probiotics. Probiotics are already inside of your body. If you're not having an, an issue with inflammation, if you're not having a, a leaky gut symptoms like rashes or digestive complaints or any kind of autoimmune condition, if you're not having you know, anything that would lead you to think that you needed a supplement for some reason, then there's no reason in my opinion to take probiotics because your body is a probiotic manufacturing entity. It is, what you have in your gut is probiotics. It's, um, it's when there's some balance when something's off that certain strains of probiotics might be useful for bringing that system or that, uh, that conglomeration of To your <laughs> it froze there for like that last little bit just for like your last sentence it froze there but um but yeah like you know like to it it does generally like answer the question because like i guess now that we've kind of got into the weeds and especially since you said that your your book covers a lot to do with like you know diet and stuff like that too you know because i've done so much experimenting with my diet over the last like six months um, I'd like to throw something out to you that probably is going to sound really crazy. Um, but like just talking with so many, like, you know, people kind of like within this space who are, you know, experimenting with like their diets and especially people who have like a lot of uh, background knowledge, um, you know, in like health and like nutrition and, you know, um, you know, like different nutrients that the body needs or just, I, I guess, nutrition science in general that, um, I have found what I think is like the best diet for me, um, which ironically a lot of people are starting to gravitate towards is a diet that consists of about 70% um, like meat-based proteins and about 30% plant-based fats, eliminating almost like all fruits and vegetables, but taking like just like a really great quality multivitamin, like a AM and a PM1. I take the total human by on it. And then once a week or once every two weeks, going to like a, an IV drip bar to be able to top up on, um, you know, like vitamins and minerals from, a, from an IV standpoint. Um, I'll tell you the reason why is because I actually didn't realize how bloated that I get and how discomforting it is on my body to be able to consume fruits and vegetables uh, until going through like this, all this diet experimenting the last six months. Um, 
And uh, I don't really react all that well to eating fruits and vegetables. Uh, it's not that I like say that they're not, the vitamins and minerals that are in them aren't necessary. It's just, it's really hard on my body to actually consume them. So how, what, how, do, you, uh, how do you perceive all of that information? So did you just say that it feels like it's hard on your body to consume the fruits and vegetables? Yeah. So from an Eastern medicine standpoint, then we would recognize that you're having a diminished agni and that your digestive fire would need to be increased. And this is, this is something, you know, this is a, this is a huge topic in natural medicine and in gut health medicine, because Many of the diets that are out there right now are advocating that we eliminate or at least temporarily eliminate a lot of different food groups. And a lot of the reason for that is because people are having like an epidemic widespread deficiency in their digestive functioning mm -hmm. and by eliminating the things that are more difficult to digest what practitioners have been seeing is that people are becoming you can become more sensitive to more foods over time by doing that because it's not addressing the root issue if the root issue is that it's harsh on your body or hard for your body to digest whole foods, then, then there needs to be a real focus on what the root cause of that is. And so the temporary kind of short-term acute um, band-aid for that is to eliminate the trigger foods. Now, mind you, there are people that have things that they cannot digest. I mean, there are people that have celiac disease and if they continue to eat gluten, they will die, yep. for example. There are people with such severe peanut allergies that they cannot go near peanuts. They can't even touch them. So setting those types of things aside if we're if it's somebody who's just starting to notice that they're having difficulty digesting th certain things the natural reaction is going to be to eliminate those things from the diet and you know practically speaking if it's just you know something here and there if it's like popcorn and onions or something like that maybe it's not so much to look at but when it's entire food groups then we know that there's a deficiency in the system somewhere. Mm -hmm. And the microbiome can be part of that deficiency of Agni because the microbiome is responsible partly for helping the body to break down food and to absorb its nutrients and then to ferment what we can't break down so that the microbiome can create nutrients that we don't make ourselves or that we're not getting enough of in the foods that we take in. So from an Eastern medicine standpoint, your hydrochloric acid in your stomach, your bile salts, your enzymes in your pancreas, the enzymes that the microbiome creates, and 
other molecules, metabolites, they're called, the byproducts of what the microbiome does, are all part of the digestive fire or the ognate or the metabolic quality of, of the person. Mm -hmm. the, so that's kind of my, like... No, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just going to say that's like my overarching, you know, vague, broad spectrum answer for your question. Yeah. See, and you know, and like, this is where I kind of want to like, we can go umbrella and then I kind of want to get into the weeds a little bit with it because like, I totally agree with that. Like sure. my mind, like logically agrees with that is something that I've been, um, yeah. obviously been, you know, like explaining to people for years, you know, like it, but like the one part that I'm having like a, t a tough time with now is, you know, do we allow ourselves um, an evolution of food, like what we've had, like an evolution of like everything else? Like, is that warranted? Is it justified? Are we doing good? Are we doing harm? Like, where do we end up with this? Because like, I look at like food and I'm trying to be like objective and subjective when I, when I say these things, just trying to spur on conversations is that if we ate very traditionally, so if you say maybe take like a paleo diet, for example, like, you know, where they say like a traditional, more quote unquote traditional way of eating. Um, if that was like walking, you know, and then everything we kind of learn up into a point where, you know, maybe we say, cut out fruits and vegetables and we get into like multivitamins and IV drip lounges and all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying that like it's comparable. I'm just saying like they're two completely different ends of the spectrum, right? Where one is like walking and the other one is like riding around in a Tesla on autopilot down the freeway where it's like a completely different form of transportation that we're not used to. It feels awkward. Doesn't really seem like we should be doing it, you know, but it's still safely getting us from point A to point B. Like, is there like a point where, you know, like, is it easier on your body to give it the resources, what it, the resources it needs, but in a different, like facilitating it, like in a different vehicle, you know, because like, it's not like eliminating the fruits and vegetables altogether per se, because you're still getting like the nutrients of the beginning of it, although it's just in a different format, you know. Like, I, and I don't know, like, I just like, I don't really know what the sound answers are because like, there's one part of it where we want to rely on the knowledge that we've always had and it's sound. It's not like it's not true. And, you know, but like it could there potentially be this different way that may or may not be better. It might just be the same. It might be easier on some people's bodies. Like, like I don't know. Like, I just, uh, I've just been really trying to be like open-minded about it just to kind of see like how I feel about it because you know like it's to me the reason why I guess I should kind of like explain a little bit of the reason why behind this too is is not only necessarily for me but if you look at it of you know like the typical propaganda that we've always heard they need to like eat eight to ten servings of fruits and vegetables a day well how many people are eating four servings of fruits and vegetables a day but if you need to eat eight to ten servings of vegetables a day to be able to get the vitamins and minerals that you need, you know, in the quantities that you need them in, but like 95% or 90% or 85% of the population is falling dramatically short of that, you know, 
And then we start to couple on, well, are the fruits and vegetables we eating even nutrient dense enough compared to what fruits and vegetables used to be because they're poor soil quality, you know, being picked before their vine ripen, shipped halfway across the world, you know, like all these different things, genetically modified, all, like all these different things. Like there's so many factors that come into it. Now I'm actually kind of like, I've hit a wall. I'm not like knowing where there might be an actual better way, but not really wanting to believe it. Cause I don't actually think it's better, but based on the environment of like, well, if people are dramatically falling short of what they're supposed to be doing anyway, is there this alternate alternative of people facilitating vitamins and minerals into their system? You know, like, like, I don't know, like we're, I know it, 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 it's a lot like, and I just dumped a lot on your plate. That's there. great. I completely understand. But like, do you see where I'm kind of going with that? Yeah. Or, like, you know, why it's so hard? Like, I, I honestly, the confusion level for me is like redlining at like a thousand because I, I just, I don't really know where I land in this landscape right. anymore. Well, that's why I, that's everything you just said is, is addressed in, in my book. The oh. one that's, because I have such I have such in it, I feel so strongly that I could see what you're saying about where we could be going as a species in the quality of the minerals and the soil and that and that. Not getting into any of that as, again, as a generalization and as a really important point that I repeat several times in the book. I think we need to get back down to basics with ourselves. Mm. And I think that, and I feel very strongly that we are all going to be better served by recognizing that our bodies are a manifestation of nature, of the natural world. Our body is nature. Mm -hmm. We are not, it is not mind over matter. Our body is matter. And it is infused with mind and it has a consciousness and an awareness that is inextricably connected with the air, with the ground, with the soil, with the sky, with the electromagnetics, with every other person, with every other being on the planet. It is completely infused into and fed by everything around it. And that the microbiome is so important for us because there's something about it that is catching people's curiosity right off the bat. Mm -hmm. We are all fascinated by it. Every single person that hears about it or knows about it, talks about it, asks about it, tries to find podcasts on it, pays attention when it's mentioned on the news. It is, it's drawing us for some reason. And part of that reason is because we are so disconnected and so confused and in our heads that it is, it's like a direct line back to our center. It is a direct connection to the consciousness that we are nature, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So if we come at everything you just said from that perspective, Instead of trying to figure things out 
from a theoretical framework. So like if you're in an environmental scientist and an anthropologist and you're on your tasked to figure out what to do for the next hundred years, then the questions you're asking are very viable questions. If, and if you, or if you're trying to figure out how you're going to feed, you know, people that are in areas right now that do not have access to those eight or 10 fruits or vegetable sources a day, then those questions, you know, it's very context dependent, but the absolute truth of it at its baseline is that we are all nature and that the best way to cultivate nature is to do it naturally as much as possible while we can. And if we can, if we're in a position of wealth on this planet where we have the option to do that for ourselves, then what's bioavailable, what's, what's accessible, what the body already knows how to integrate into itself is the best choice. If someone is seriously ill, if they're recovering from, recovering from an illness, Natural means are, of course, number one in, in certain respects in regard to helping facilitate their ongoing healing process. But then we might also draw in some of those bigger guns. Then we might need to do some more IV drips and things like that, right? But I think that we... I where all this is concerned and that's why I love eastern medicine so much because it's not just eastern medicine it's natural medicine yeah. and it's about our it's about the reality yeah. of our existence as a species on this planet which is that we're part of the planet the planet owns our body we don't we're temporarily inhabiting it and 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 then if you look at things from that framework then it gives us more perspective. And even if you like let go of the food pyramid for a moment and just think about, you know, study that was done a couple of years ago on the microbiome and what it actually needs and, and what, what determines what a healthy gut microbiome is. And that study showed that we need to eat at least 30 plant-based items a week in order to create a diverse, which means a strong, healthy gut microbiome. So 30 plant foods a week isn't hard to do if you're someone who already likes fruits and vegetables and herbs and spices and grains because it's just easy to do. But I mean, it's, we can look at things in terms of, of what we're finding out about the microbiome as far as guidance goes for what to eat because exactly to natural medicine has taught for thousands of years about how our digestive functioning works about where it goes awry and about how to correct it. So that's a thing 
that I was trying to get across with this book, I could have just written a book about the microbiome and left the Eastern medicine out of it, right? And that would have probably sold a million copies, but it only would have been a small part of the story because there's, it's going to be another 100, 200 years before we have even a 50% grasp on the potency of the microbiome, all the players of the microbiome, what they do, how they interact with our tissues, and what we can do to best make sure that stays healthy. Yeah. But from a natural medicine standpoint, if you're looking at medical systems that have been around for thousands of years that originated in Egypt and the Middle East in Asia, you'll find is describe what the microbiome is and what it is. And that the prescription for how to live is already there. We keep trying to reinvent the wheel and, and, and we're going into, because we don't know. We don't know the truth of what's in that, those, those systems because we weren't brought up with it. So we go into these studies and then we try stuff and it works for a little while and then we fall out of it and then we go to another study. And it's all very confusing, right? It's all very scattered. And it's because you know all that stuff is true within specific contexts and it may be true most of the time for most people but the entirety the big picture the whole thing is present in natural medicine traditions that have been codified that have been practiced where observation and um trial and error have been experienced so that there is an actual system laid out for diagnosis and treatment and prognosis and, um, and not just in terms of the medicine, but in terms of the lifestyle piece as well, which is what we're talking about, because we're talking about diet. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's, that's the, the main crux of what I try and get across to people, is that it's important to shift our consciousness to think in terms of our body being a part of nature. And what would we... What if you have a dog, would you rather give your dog a, a vitamin C shot or would you rather give your dog, I don't know, whatever it is that naturally occurs in some food? What, what would you feel most comfortable doing? What would your dog be most comfortable with you doing, right? Because the body's the same way. The body's kind of like, in terms of the chakras, it's like more in that, yes, there are lower chakras that are more animalistic, but when we're taking the chakras and we're thinking in terms of survival and base emotional states, those that's most of our body, right? It's like our body is animalistic. It's more primal. It's more connected with the environment. It knows when the seasons are changing. It knows even if you're indoors in AC, if it's, if the heat index is 150 outside and it's very humid. Your body knows that still. So that's what we need to, to get back into. That's the, that's the thinking, that's the paradigm, I feel, that we need to get back, to, back into. Then we can take you know, the IV drips and the, the infusions and, and the concentrated 
you know, miracles that some nutraceuticals are for some people sometimes. And we can utilize those in context, but to just like to constantly go there all the time, which is, and I'm, I'm guilty of it myself. You know, it's like, it seems like the easiest thing to do because it, it works fast. Usually you feel a result right away or you don't. And with, with a more graduated natural approach, it takes longer to feel the change, but the body does adapt to whatever you're doing to it. It really does. And, and that's sustainable. Natural, natural medicine guidance is sustainable lifestyle guidance. Yeah. You know, you don't, you don't need to have, you don't, you don't need to go somewhere and, and receive, you know, a drip. You can nine tenths of the time, if you're not, you know, if you're doing really well and you're not sick, you don't need to do that. See, and you know, and I, I love the imagery of that. Like I, I love the simplicity. I love the, you know, scaling things way back, living simpler lives, living off the land, you know, having a better connection with the food we eat, having a garden, getting people accessibility to these things, you know, like um, understanding more about our health, how our body feels, how our body reacts to different foods. Like I love the utopian aspect to all that. And it's, I try to live my life like that. I try to, you know, preach that, you know, then I get always faced with these questions that get bestowed upon me that I also have and have had in the past. Well, like, well, if we need 30 different, you know, like say fruits and vegetables, you know, in some capacity, like what you said, plant-based matter in between like herbs, spices, you know, all these different things. Like, did we really evolve to the apex species on this planet by having, you know, eight to 10, 12 glasses of water a day, you know, 30 different, you know, like plant-based organic matters, like, like arguably, like we haven't really had that much ready available access every single week or every single day to all these materials of what we need for like optimal health. So how did we really get to like where we got today? Like, those are the things that I don't understand because like logically it is true because you know, like think of like all the places on this planet where humans have inhabited that we would have never have had access to 30 different organic matters during the seasons, you know, but if we need that on a weekly basis for optimal health, well, how do we get here? Or even like readily accessible water, you know, like 10, 12 glasses or, you know, eight glasses of water a day, depending on like how active you are. Well, you know, people used to be way more active like a thousand years ago than what they are today. So you know, if we need eight to 10 glasses of water now, I'd assume they needed 20 glasses of water back then with how active they were. Like, like how did, how did we get here? How did we evolve? Cause our, our consciousness evolved, our, our bodies evolved, our brains evolved, like our understanding. And like, and I'm still a firm believer that as much as what we know today versus what we actually, we know a different kind of knowledge today. We, we know like I can send this rocket into space. I know how to make this phone. You know, we have this internet, you know, like we have these things, but like, I really feel as in like, as in a species, humanity, like how we lived, like how we coexisted with the planet. You know, when you look at ancient cultures, they, they are so much more evolved than like what, what we are, but they arguably had less tools to be able to, 
to make those resources available than what we know now. Like, like, do you think that 5,000 years ago, a thousand years ago, people had 30 different organic matters a week to be able to leverage to have a healthy micro gut biome? Like, like, I, I don't know where I said, like, I want to believe it because they came up with these theories and these principles and they're sound and we can scientifically back them up now. And they aren't, well, couldn't, you know, do that back then with the same diagnostic tools that we have now, but they still came up with all this information that like, you can't deny or argue now, but did, did they have access to that? So like, like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know why I'm in such a state of confusion now. And maybe it's because I've done all this experimentation last six months and it has left my mind reeling, you know, with like, you know, all of these different, like, and I'm sorry to dump this all on you today, but I just feel like I'm no, at a real, you know, apex point of like, what side of this am I going to fall on? Because I have these firm beliefs that I know are true. I, I feel that they are true. I live them to know that they're true. But like, I also am very challenged on it based on like what I have found out. Um, and, you know, like, you know, based on like what I think is realistic of the past as well. So um, yeah, there's another bus I'll throw you under. Like, how do you feel about that? I think a lot of people feel the same way. And I think that I think I just, I think a lot of people feel the same way. And um, as far as like what people had in the past, like the main text that people have, if they've even heard of an ancient text in Chinese medicine, it's gonna be the Yellow Emperor classic of internal medicine. And so this, this classic is a discussion between the yellow emperor and Chi Bo, the, the doctor. And so the yellow emperor, I'm sure, had access to 30, probably 50 different plant-based substances a week, right? So it's, this is the ideal of information, you know, it is, is only accessible throughout history. Mo probably to the most affluent people, right? And I think a, a lot of us, like you and I, a lot of the people sitting here listening to this podcast are in a position where we can access not only that information, but the tools, which are the 30 different things a, a week, for example, uh, plant-based foods a week. So, so I think that, uh, real quick. sorry to cut you off, but just to draw the reference real quick, like, like, and I, I would agree with this, if this is what you're saying, um, you're saying like an emperor back then, which they would have probably leveraged a lot of information from, you know, anybody like studying somebody, you know, would be leveraging like an emperor or an upper class, like a higher class of, of people per se, but like that an emperor back then is like the everyday person now. Like just with accessibility, you know, like, like having accessibility to things. A lot of that has to do with accessibility. I don't think there's much difference between then and now, except for our, our technology. Yeah. You know, there's always been class issues and caste issues and, um, you know, it's, it's not fair and it's not nice. Mm -hmm. And it, it's still not nice you know? So, um, so I think, I mean, I think that 
the ancients are coming from a place where they knew what we needed to do in order to take care of ourselves and achieve longevity and not just longevity for longevity's sake, but quality of life, longevity, movement until, you know, a hundred and something years old, like ease of movement, not barely able to move. So I think quality of life and longevity went hand in hand for them. And they knew what the average person, you know, uh, barring any accident or, you know, the stars not aligning for them to follow those recommendations, um, would need to do in order to be more of a contentment to achieve, um, long quality of life at the same time. So they knew what someone needed to do to get there, but not everybody is able to do that. And that's the same thing as today. Mm -hmm. And those of us who are interested in how to do that are exploring all the options that are there. And there's nothing wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with taking advantage of what science has to offer us. But I think if we put all our eggs in that basket that we're going to be getting that sometimes we're just going to be getting the shells. Because if you're taking, for example, you had mentioned a diet where there is no, there are no fruits and vegetables. So there are microbes on the fruits and vegetables we eat that we're ingesting even when we clean them that we need that help to populate our gut and trap. And without that, that's the, that's the importance of, of natural medicine and whole foods because natural medicine uses the entire herb. Yes, they may go through, you know, 30 steps to prepare an herb formula because they know how they need to chemically change the herb in order to have it have its proprietary action but or the formula, but they're still using the whole herb on the way there. They're not pulling one thing out of it and giving it to the person because they recognize there's an entire intricate web of actions and interactions within that one substance itself that that is creating the response in the body that we're looking for when we give it to somebody or when we take it ourselves so you know, there's, there, are, there are things that we don't even probably know about in some of the major foods that we eat. Apples, you know, we may not even know everything that's in an apple or what all those things are doing or what fibers, whatever it is, we don't know if they're feeding our microbes. We don't know if they're killing some of the microbes that could overcolonize and be harmful to us in large quantity in the gut. We, we just don't know all that information yet. So by, t- by totally removing the entire thing, 
It's like throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Oh, I have a stomach ache when I eat a fresh apple, so I'm going to stop eating apples. This is just an example. I'm not this. Then, then what have we just done? We don't even know. We may have stopped the stomach ache, but for example, in natural medicine of India, Ayurveda, if you have a certain constitution, you're going to be prone to having issues when you eat raw apples. Apples are counterindicated for that constitution. Instead, they need to be prepared a certain way. And then they're actually nourishing for that constitution. So, so there's, there's more to the story than we have in the studies. And, and that pops up in a lot of, you know, the social media posts and a lot of the podcasts and a lot of the books that are out there. There's more to the story than that. If you're just getting one part of the story, you're not getting the whole picture. And it's helped. I, I love natural medicine because it gives you an entire picture and then you can make an informed decision and categorize things in your head based upon that. And the premise behind it is that it doesn't rule out advancements in technology and in delivery of nutrients to the body. It doesn't rule those out. It, it recognizes that nothing is inherently bad and nothing is inherently good either. That there are certain things for certain people at certain times and you take advantage of all of it whenever you need to. So I guess that's my, my, my answer to your question, you know, and there's, we don't have the studies yet. You know, we haven't followed anyone for 30 years that's been doing IV drips of, of nutrients to find out what that does to the body and what that does to the microbiome for better or for worse. So really you're experimenting when you do that. Mm -hmm. There might be, you know, experiential evidence and there might be some studies here and there, but you know, even studies we have to take with a grain of salt because they can change within a decade. The results, the way that the studies are carried out, the, the, everything is, is, is open to being flawed in some way. You just but, do the best that you can with it, you know? And especially like studies too, right? Where they're like, we're really only studying like a singular thing, but like, like a study on apples really could take a team of millions of people decades to be able to figure out because of all the different physiological responses that each team would be responsible for managing and tracking and you'd have to manage and track those in the same individuals a part of the test group you can even use different individuals in the test group so like you know like that's where like it is interesting that we rely so much on all these studies when they're so inherently flawed with all the information because they're never well-rounded enough because they never can be well-rounded enough because the information would be so convoluted at the end of the study it would be hard to actually decipher it because every physio physiological process as you know it's always going to spur on another physiological process and there's always this trickle down right. effect that's going to happen from that because you know essentially like when you were speaking there a, a conclusion that i drew is the same thing like with exercise well, like exercise is actually technically bad for the body, but the physiological response is good. 
you know, say so when you exercise, you know, it's like, you know, you're breaking your body down, which is not really good, but the physiological response that then ensues is good, is positive, you know, like we have, so it is, you know, like, again, it's, it's like the food we know about the body. So another thing that I was thinking before I go down too far down that rabbit hole is that why do you think that we needed to learn this lesson? Because I don't, I don't believe that in no, nothing on a, a mass global scale, like what we see now when it comes to poor nutrition, you know, and like you said, it's not like poor nutrition is just allocated to Canada and the United States, you know, it's kind of everywhere. The interest in the micro gut biome is not limited to Canada, Canada and the United States, you know, it's broadly across the world. Like why, why would you think that we as a human population, a species on this planet we all kind of have walked down this road together. We're all kind of reconnecting, but I, I would find it hard to believe it wasn't for a purpose. You know, is it the, is it nature's way of saying that if there's going to be 7 billion people on this planet, you know, like we need to steer the entire species down this bad road, you know, to be able to find a common ground to be able to rebuild from like, like it, like it just. I think it, it's a natural consequence. Yeah. I think it's just a natural consequence of of seven billion people on the planet. It's not like, I, I mean, the way I perceive it, it, it isn't that you know some overseeing entity is is trying to punish us or teach us a lesson. I just think I think it's more just the law of cause and effect. I think if, if that's what you're going to do and this is how you're going to do it, then this is what's going to happen, period. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of stuff is, can be boiled down to, to just common sense, to be honest. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, when you, one of the things that helped me the most when I was going through my Chinese medicine training is the constant reinforcement because I can get in my head and spin. Yeah. <laughs> And I can go in a lot of different places with it, which is a good thing sometimes, right? Because it, it gives us, it makes people that do that, we have a capacity for, I, I feel, for freer thought, right? We're able to think out of the box. We're able to question our beliefs. And we're able to question what's going on around us because we're seeking truth. And the flip side to that is that, you know, we can really get caught in that spin. And the thing it, in, in Chinese medicine school that kept getting reiterated, because this can happen when you're trying to diagnose someone, it's, it's easy to go into a textbook and say, okay, this list of signs and symptoms means that X, Y, Z. And then you're like, okay. And then you get in the clinic and the person's got something going on with almost all their channels and almost every organ system in your mind is just like, you don't even know where to start. So you have to take it back to simplicity and to what you know and to the most simple things. When things are, when you get the most confused, I found it's been the most helpful for me to come back to basics. Mm -hmm. That's why people enjoy gardening so much, right? Because especially right now, like it's just things are, are like so mind blowing right now on so many levels that getting back into the earth, you know, digging your hands in the soil, going for hikes in the woods, being in nature, 
holding a baby, all of these things that are really simple, innate things that calm our nervous system and ground us again. It's the same with the mind, like coming back to what is the most simple thing that you can ground into to kind of system. You don't feel so confused because that's not going to serve that. I know that never serves me to be completely confused. I always have to take it down a notch and re-simplify. And so when I've gotten better over the years, as when I get to that point, whether it's in the clinic, whether it's with myself or thinking about any of these things we're talking about, coming back to like, what is my core fundamental sense of, of being right now? What is my core fundamental sense of the importance of this topic I'm thinking about or or about it truly in my heart like being with that and then I find that when I sit with that and I really am able to quiet myself from all the tangents that's when the answers seem to emerge and they tend to be pretty simple yeah absolutely you know and this, this always kind of pulls me back to like this this next question that always gets kicked around is, you know, that can we achieve what we need to achieve um, with the dominant part of the population of this planet being like in such major urban centers? Like, is it achievable when, you know, how do you declutter yourself when we are cluttered as a population? You know, like, how do we simplify when we are in such a complex environment how do we you know um you know find balance and grounding when we're overstimulated you know how do we have a reconnection back with nature where you could drive for hours and there is no nature really you know like you know or it just yeah. very hard to be able to achieve that like you know are are we are we needing to disperse like out of our, our major urban centers? And, you know, like I, I believe from what I've heard, I, I don't really know. I don't have boots on the ground like you guys do, but you know, I've heard a, a lot of people are moving out of places like New York and LA and kind of like disbanding like around like the country and stuff. So, you know, like things like this coronavirus, you know, might actually be complementing us in, in certain ways to be able to achieve yeah. that we need to achieve. Yeah. Um, like, how do you feel about that? Like, do you feel like in these urban centers or like, or is that the importance of having like a little garden on your condo patio and, you know, going to yeah. yoga class and meditating and why yeah. we really need to focus on these things because, you know, like we just don't have abundance to leverage or, you know, like to, you know, close your eyes and visualize the forest or, you know, like just, you know, maybe get a, a bag of um, organic dirt and, you know, find a pot to dump it in on your deck and stick your feet in it if you can't get out in the forest. Like, like all these things that you kind of hear people starting to do because, you know, just like how people are interested yeah. in the, the micro gut biome, like there's a lot of people finding some innovative ways. Like, you know, I know people who have condos downtown Vancouver who just have these trays with dirt where they've planted grass. So they can just have like some natural grass they can stick their toes in while sitting in their lawn chair on their yeah. balcony, like downtown. Like we are, it does seem like now that you brought that up, like we have this, we have a lot of little things we're doing to try to mimic the natural behaviors. We know that'll probably course correct a lot of the problems that are existing in the world right now. 
Absolutely. And there, people are moving out of the city en masse. Like I'm in upstate New York. Our housing market is ridiculous. Like we were actually looking to buy a house and now we're going to, we just have to wait because they're gone in two days. Yeah. And there's so many people making offers. They're going for more than asking price. A yeah. lot of them. And a lot of them aren't really worth what they're going for because of it. A lot of them. So it's like, you know, we're watching this happen and, and yeah, there is a mass exodus. The people that can are getting out. I think more, more and more. Some people probably still like the city or love the city. I mean, people that are born and raised there, a lot of them love it. Um, but by and large people, especially with families are getting out if they can. Um, you know, people that had houses up in the Adirondacks when this all went down, they didn't stay downstate. They headed for the Adirondacks, even though they weren't supposed to. Yeah. Um, so that's one piece of it. And I think, you know, I, it's the nature of reality is not black and white. It's constantly interacting and it's constantly fluctuating. As much as there is a black and white, as much as there's a left and a right, there's that shade of gray in the center. And that's kind of where I am. You know, it's like the Buddha said, take the middle road. It's a, it's, I think more about finding the balance that you can. It's about ahimsa or non-harming or doing what's best for yourself and for others. And sometimes there is still some harm on some level, but you have to do what is the least harmful thing, right? The lesser of evils. So if you can't get out of the city and you really want to, then you need to do something for yourself to ground. You need to get that whatever, you know, pot it is and plant the grass and put your feet in it. You need to maybe, if you have the time and the means to volunteer at a farm on the weekend for a few hours or to get out of the city or to get to a green space in the city and just be. It doesn't mean you have to go for a run there. It means you can just be. And um, to have the rooftop garden, to sprout things in your kitchen window. like. It's, it's easy for most of us to do some semblance of that. We do need to get into nature. It's, it's definitely proven scientifically that, we, that our bodies thrive in nature and our minds. There are chemicals that are emitted from the ground, from the trees and plants that actually have a stimulating, joyful effect on our um, emotions. So we feel better naturally, whether even if we're not exercising just to be in a natural environment, just to put our feet in the ground. There's tons of um, research and anecdotal, you know, things you can find online about grounding or earthing and the positive attributes of that. And there are a lot more studies being done about indoor environments as well. And the microbiome of an indoor environment and whether yours is healthy or not. And um, so people are even doing things like moving more plants indoors, getting pets, because it's better for the microbiome of the human if they have a dog, for example. Um, it's, so there's, there's all these things that we can do, these subtle shifts. So it may not be ideal. We may not be all able to move to the coast of Maine or 
to have the house on the mountain with 30 acres, but we have to do what we can do if we're so inclined in order to keep ourselves as well as possible. And that includes the visualization you talked about and, and active practices that bring us back to our center that remind us of who we are, like meditation, yoga, tai chi, qigong, walking, exercising, whatever it is, so that, um, so that we are able to, to, to generate our chi internally and keep it circulating so that we're not losing so much of it with um, negative emotional and thinking patterns and you know, fatigue and, and, and social media and, and, and you know, screens and things like that. Like there needs to be a balance and for each of us, that balance is going to be a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like, and as we talk about all these things, you know, to like, just kind of like more connect us with like, obviously, you know, like a natural way of living and, you know, um, you know, like all things that kind of make us feel whole and simplified, you know, like as a person, which then in returns makes us healthy. So I've always liked sleeping on the floor and I always just thought it was because I was raised camping and in the back country. And it's just something I've always kind of done, but I've always felt more comfortable sleeping on the floor than in a bed. And most of the time you can find me sleeping on the floor. And you know, like my oldest daughter is the same way. Like she would, she refused to sleep her bed. She loves to sleep on the floor. <laughs> uh, and then talking about it more like the last like six months, cause it's just not, it's really something that comes by way of like a normal conversation right? Like, Oh, right. where do you prefer to sleep? <laughs> uh, but since like, I've been talking about like making a conscious choice just to ask people like, do you ever sleep on the floor? Like, and I'm shocked how many people like to sleep on the floor, yeah. but feel as though that it's like taboo that they should, or cause they're an adult that they can't, or like, it's awkward mm-hmm. to admit that you do. Um, yeah. but like, like, have you ever heard that? Like, has anybody ever said that to you? Or like, like what do you think the connection is with, because like, it's not just like one or two people, you know, like just regularly having like conversations. I've probably in the last six months, maybe ran into 40, 50 people that all like admit they're just like, they're like, yeah, I always used to sleep on the floor as a kid, but just yeah. I got to like that adult age that everything becomes unacceptable to do anymore. And um, just always just started sleeping in a bed or just kind of feel like they would rather do that or feel more comfortable, you know, like camping or, you know, like just be like laying outside, like on the grass and, you know, falling asleep. Like, like, why do, why do you think that is, you know, like, is, is there, or, or again, yeah, have you ever heard of anybody who ever said that to you or? I haven't talked to anybody about that. No, but I, I, I mean, it makes perfect sense. I think it ties back into that grounding thing. And, um, and I, you know, my dad, his back used to go out. He had a back injury as a, um, he's a retired firefighter and he, he got hurt at work pretty bad. And ever since then he would, he'd lay on the floor a lot or he'd sleep on the floor because it was better for his back, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, maybe there's more to it than just that. Maybe the hardness of it wasn't the only thing. Maybe it was that there was some other thing nurturing him from doing that. Um, It'd be interesting to ask people, you know, just kind of randomly throw that question out to them. Like every once in a while, say like, Hey, have you ever thought of, or has this ever crossed your mind or, you know, anything along, along those lines? Because again, like I just, I never really would have thought of asking people. And the only time that like, you know, it really ever comes up is when I lead teams into the back country and you're just like, 
we talk about different sleeping pads and I always say, I don't actually bring a sleeping pad because I would rather just sleep on the ground. You know, I bring like my yeah. sleeping bag, my tent, but I don't bring anything for a layer of comfort or anything right. on those lines. Like for me, I like to be able to sleep uh, just like right on the ground itself. But, um, yeah. but then asking people, like I said, it just, it surprises me. And you know, like the, the part I, I think behind that, that um, is actually really hard for me that I've, I've started to understand. And I think this conversation's really brought it to light too, is we get to this weird numerical age where things just aren't really okay for us to do anymore because like we're adults, like you can't go outside without your shoes on, you know, you can't, you know, sleep on the floor, you know, like, um, you know, you can't want to run around naked. You can't want to swim in cold water. You can't jump in a stream, you know, like you can't paint your face with the clay down by the river. You like all these like little things that like, you know, as kids, we don't consciously really do. We just have this connection, this pull, this draw to do these things. And then through the excitement, the enthusiasm, the emotional, the physical and the physiological response that we have, we keep on doing them. And then we become indoctrinated into thinking like, okay, now you're at this age where like you shouldn't do these things anymore. Um, you know, like it's just, I, I find that's a really common narrative. And a lot of the things that we discussed today, you know, where you said like are directly linked, you know, like to overall health and, you know, gut microbiome health and like all that kind of stuff is, you know, like if we just kept living life essentially how we did when we were young and carefree and loving life, like we would have fixed a lot of the issues naturally that like we're fighting against right now and we're trying to find supplemental means to be able to fix them. But it's like, we've already lived the answer. We just seems like we just, we can't buy into the narrative that it's okay. Right. Yeah. It's uh. so let me ask you this though. Uh, so I'm kind of like really digressing here to a totally different topic, but it's on my mind. So you mentioned it. A lot of people are moving to Saratoga Springs um, in upstate New York. Like what does that do for changing your guys's not only like everyday life, um, you know, but like then subsequently, do you guys become more worried about like a spread of COVID-19 because there's a more of a population in your, your smaller towns now? Like, like what is, what's that like? Um, it, I don't think that Saratoga's had, I mean, we've had a population influx, but it hasn't been so, it's been gradually happening since, um, 9-11. And so, um, you know, I, I've talked to people that live like more in the Adirondacks. They're definitely worried about people coming up from New Jersey and from down by the city and from Manhattan. Even, I mean, just because right now it's summer and there are a lot of tourists up here from, from those areas. And even though the, the numbers are low and infection wise in those places, it's just the, the consciousness of people that are from a more spaced out area. Like the assumption is that somebody from down there must have it. Right. And they're going to bring it up here. And so I have to talk to some people that feel threatened by that. Um, 
it, it, I mean, there's, it's going to have an impact long term in, in many ways. I mean, it changes the culture of a small town once it gets more urbanized, which is what's happening with Saratoga. It changes the, the value of the houses and um, it increases development to the point where it's difficult to even find parking and, you know, where it's not even comfortable for locals to go out to the restaurants sometimes not that I'm doing that right now but I'm, I'm talking about regular times even you know it, it definitely it definitely changes the vibe and and I in a lot of people that have lived in Saratoga for a long time actually want to move to the surrounding areas where there's more space and more land oh wow so it's interesting yeah because it's starting to feel congested here like they, they are putting up a lot of condo buildings and apartment buildings and office buildings with with um like more like we i experienced in the pacific northwest where there's you know there'll be the businesses on the first level and there are a lot of condos or apartments above that um so that's what's happening now here too um at a rate that that you know they're not even filling up completely but i think they will start to because of what's happening you know with public health right now yeah and how are how are you doing? Like how's how's business? How are you doing personally? Like how how what's the I'm, doing, I'm doing all right. You know, it's 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 challenging because um, my daughter's going into kindergarten in September, and we don't know if we're sending her yet. And it's like in three weeks. <laughs> uh, they actually just it, told it, us yesterday it, that our kids. Are there's a lot of challenge. So I was, I was just interrupting you rudely saying that um, they actually just told us yesterday that our kids aren't going to go back to school in September now, even though they said in June before kids got out of school, not that they were even in school, that it was going to be mandatory that kids went back to school in September. And then yeah. they just said yesterday that all staff, administrative staff and um, subsequent staff are going to go back, kind of get acclimated to the school environment and at some undisclosed future time then uh kids are gonna start going back to school so who gotcha. even knows what like that means out here too so um yeah okay. it'll be uh you're experiencing that too yeah. yeah here we have the choice right now and um that i'm sure that's going to change as cold and flu season gets closer um even as a preventative measure. But right now there's a choice between online and then a fully online or virtual scenario. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's hard because my daughter wants to, she has her heart set on going to school. She's very extroverted. She is excited about meeting new people and playing and all of that and she's not even when she goes if she goes she's not gonna be able to do that because they're all gonna be separated and everything it's it's hard you know it's like when you think about how you grew up and and you can't even fathom what this is how they're processing what's happening to them because it's just not natural mm -hmm. and um you know so that aspect is hard but business is business is good and um you know i'm just working on getting the book stuff in line, getting some, I'm going to have a fall cleanse coming up and I'm going to do a 21 day microbiome challenge coming up where we'll do a cultivation of the microbiome externally and internally from a natural medicine perspective. 
Um, and, and doing more telehealth is really the direction I'm going in yeah. at this point, because I'd like to be less rooted. Um, I'd like to be able to have more flexibility with um, where we are, when, and, um, and being able to reach a lar larger audience with the information. Like all the stuff we talked about today, I think is really important. And um, I feel like a lot of people will really benefit from having more of those types of discussions and, and not just discussing it, but actually getting some guidance on how to do it because it can seem very overwhelming at first and idealistic. But then once you get into the practicalities of it, it can change. So, um, so that's kind of the direction I'm heading in. And it's, it's, you know, a lot of work on top of the work I'm already doing, but it's good work. So I'm excited about it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's good to hear. It's nice because it's like, even like your body presence, your energy, your tone seems very much different uh, this time they were talking versus last time that we, we talked. Seems like you're in a really yeah. good, happy place, and it's nice to be able to see that. Well, thank you. Thank yeah. you. Good. Uh, if you don't mind, we're going to wrap things up here. I still always can't believe how fast uh, 90 minutes goes by when we're yeah. chatting and stuff. It just yeah. uh, is always that vortex of time. And, I apologize for throwing under the bus a few times there, but there's just a few things I'm being really challenged with uh, cognitively on kind of where I stand or how I'm going to move forward and just being able to yeah. leverage people I respect so much like you um, is really going to help clarify that path for me. So I really appreciate yeah. it. You're welcome. Okay. Thank you. Have for a wonderful day. Oh, and before we go, where let everybody know where uh, they can get your new book. than right now let's give it a second yeah. all right what did there you just go. say We're sorry where can we get the new book so the new book's available everywhere it's called cultivating your microbiome a in ayurvedic and chinese practices for a healthy gut and a clear mind and it's available if you get it through inner traditions which is my publisher you might get it next week the official um, release date isn't until september 22nd and that's when it will be shipped out on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and the smaller bookstores. But um, if you get it through Inner Traditions, you might be able to get it a little sooner because they're going to have some advanced copies in-house. Um, and so it's cultivating your microbiome. And if you want more information on anything that we discussed today about um, workshops and telehealth or anything like that, you can go to bridgetshea.com. So that's uh, Bridget. It's like spelt like bridge, T-T-E-S-H-E-A.com. And so um, my calendar is there. I need to update it now that I just put that information out there. <laughs> and um, you could subscribe to my newsletter. And I have a blog that I started um, uh, in June, and I need to update that this month. And the new blog post is going to be on salt and the microbiome. Oh. So what kind of salt is healthy, how much, and how does the microbiome get influenced by our salt consumption? And is it for better or for worse? Oh, so, how intriguing. I like it. That yeah. just started to get my mind reeling. And so especially with yeah. that, all the years that salt's been so controversial. So um, thank you so much, Bridget. I appreciate all your time. Welcome. I appreciate yours too. Thank you.